perspective and they asked me what the hell I was smoking. <laughs> and so I pulled it. I wasn't happy with it. And Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 8th of July. I hope you've had a great week, especially those of you who celebrated your independence and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but with this podcast, I want to share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from SysApp into CMO with the help of some true rock stars, my guests and chums, who I hope will inspire the marketing rock star in you. You can find links to me, the guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our Street Knowledge blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. This week in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I discuss five basic B2B personas. I welcome back Matthew Woodgett of Go Narrative, and we talk about his book. And I wind down the week with my chum, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail in the marketing store. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, The Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our resident rock star, CMO, strategy advisor and former Forrester Research Director. Welcome, Ian, to the studio. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm doing great. We, uh, having a bit of, we're hitting the heat wave here in uh, sunny central Massachusetts. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not bad, but, uh, you know, yeah. we've turned the AC on. <laughs> nice work um yes we haven't got the same problem i mean we don't <laughs> usually use ac anyway but yeah we're we're uh it's gone a bit cooler here this week and uh we've had some storms um but uh yes hopefully the sunshine shall return so that's Absolutely. the weather we got straight into the weather straight we? into the weather good <laughs> so uh so to get into the meat of the topic uh, today mm-hmm. we're we're continuing to follow our personas down a rabbit hole. You know, we've covered mm-hmm. in past episodes, we covered what is a persona in episode 140. We've covered how to use them in campaigns. I think it was campaigns and content strategies. So that's, mm-hmm. that was 141. We talked about them not too long ago in relation to the ideal customer profile. That was episode 155. And then last week we went through... Um, a topic that you had created and put a blog post up on how to define a persona, which is to give a re- quick recap of that is you kind of <laughs> wonder, understand what their role is in the buying process, but define the needs of the persona, detail how you can help them personally, yeah. um, understand the job titles that kind of roll up into that persona, 
and then identify a real world example so that everybody else who you're trying to explain this to can go, oh yeah, that's, uh, I know that I sold that that uh, solution to Jane in IT, so uh, I, I know yeah, what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Uh, and this week we wanted to cover uh, what I am uh, likely calling five F and fundamental faces of our personas, um, <laughs> because uh, we all know that there's kind of some generic types that you can you can start with. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, so, Ian, I'm going to turn it over to you. What say you? <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeff. I noticed that when you're, when I'm in the chair, who's in the chair? When you're the host, we crack through the beginning bit much quicker. There's less of the, <laughs> <laughs> how are you? I'm fine. Welcome to the studio. I'm really? straight into the meat of this. Man. <laughs> that, that's because you're a serious, straight-up analyst, I think. Serious. And I'm just serious. Ser- yeah, serious. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, What? because I'd used this approach before, and what I was starting to notice uh, in the various times I've done these persona um, processes is that there's actually five basic personas that had come out in, in the work that I've been doing most recently. And although, of course, buying committees sometimes have more or sometimes have less people in than the five, I, there's a nice, I think there's a nice cluster of need around five different kinds of people in the business. So that's what I've kind of been working on this I do I like the way you've added another F, the five F in fundamental faces of our personas. <laughs> but yeah, I've been working on the five F in fundamental f- personas. Yeah. <laughs> so what's our what's our first F? Well, I mean, you got to start at the top, right, mate? The number yeah. one is the executive decision maker. So this is the final authority uh, that, that gets your product purchased, or it may be where the decision goes to die, right? So yeah, um, this is this is the, and they're almost certainly not your first contact. Um, the senior sponsor probably came to them, and we'll talk to, talk about them in a moment. And there may be multiple EDMs. There may be the CFO, legal counsel, all those kinds of folks as well are involved in this. So the executive decision maker could be a number of different people in in the buying process. The thing I think is interesting. Um, in some of the work that we've been, I've been doing, is they might be a tiebreaker between you and your competition. For example, if there's another part of the business that is looking at a similar solution to yours, and you want this one and they want that one, they may be the tiebreaker. Let's say IT prefer a particular approach to marketing, for example, and they also, and I've seen this in actual in real life with a CEO, is they may have a brand bias. Oh, I've heard of HubSpot, but they've never heard of you, right? So yeah. it might be that that's where you need to be focusing on your brand and stuff. Um, so, so I'm I'm going to struggle with these five, aren't I? If I carry on like this, and and what I'd seen in terms of the needs is um, wildly summarizing, and I think. You know, I'm turning a three day engagement into a 20 minute conversation, but <laughs> I'd wild, wildly summarize this as fofu, the, the fear of fucking up that we talked about last week. Right. So, yes, sure. There are progressive leaders who are innovators at early adopters. If you look at the Gartner um, adoption curve, is it Gartner? No, it isn't Gartner. It's somebody else's adoption curve. Um, but primarily they want to manage risk and they do that with credibility, process and governance. So you need to make sure you're, that you're focused on those needs that they have. And then an example of how you might help them with those needs is you need to be transparent in your process, be compliant and demonstrate that credibility, show your ROI, and also show that people like them, other EDMs, trusted you and liked you. So that that, that also confers more credibility. So crack through that one as quickly as I could. <laughs> we So we uh, personally have been guilty of putting... Uh, sometimes this executive persona or as the, as the primary target of our campaign. 
But um, so why is that an issue? You know, uh, if we're, if we say everyone's yeah. got to go to the CFO or the yeah, CMO yeah, or the. Yeah, da, 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 yeah. da, da, da. We took, well, we talked about that a bit last week, didn't we? Is that, um, you know, it's easy to think, oh, well, I'm selling to the CMO. Yes, they may be the EDM, but they're not the one who's got the problem. They're not the one who's going to feel it in their body that they need to drive this thing through, right? And they're not really the buyer. They may not be the one who signs, they, sorry, the CMO may be the one who signs the checks, but they're not really the buyer. So and so, what you end up doing is firing over the over the heads of your actual audience who have your needs. So if you talk in the terms of a CMO or CFO, what the fuck does anybody care below them? You know, maybe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's I, I think that's the issue there. So that's a good question. So the number one is the executive decision maker. So then, who mm. would be number two? Number two is I describe this person as the most senior person who cares. So the most senior person. Who, care, who feels the pain of the problem you're trying to solve um, and will benefit the full value of if you manage to solve it for them. So, And it, that's either directly or vicariously. So it might be that they have a team of people who are complaining and they want to solve the problem for them and they want to feel that, that joy and satisfaction of that, but they understand their need and they are the most senior person in that business who feels that need. Um, and they might be slightly brand sensitive as well. So they might be aware of other solutions that might solve your problem. And they actually might not be the person who brought your solution into the discussion. It might be one of their teams said, oh, I work somewhere else. And I really like something they brought it to you. But this is going to be the person who cares the most about the problem you solve, the most senior person. And then aside from the obvious things, when it comes to their needs, I should actually ask you, Jeff, to say to me, what are their needs? Well, what their needs are, Jeff, <laughs> is <laughs> aside from the obvious that your product or service meets their needs and won't embarrass them in front of their team and in front of the EDM, is they probably have adjacent needs in terms of managing maybe the procurement process. Maybe, you know, this, isn't, this is probably their first rodeo. It's the first time they've bought any software. Whereas for you, it's the first time, you know, today. I think we talked about that last week as well. So how can you help them and support them and show that you won't abandon them through the process and build trust through some of these adjacent needs that they might have? Um, and so aside from the obvious stuff about demos and products and all that kind of good stuff, you need to demonstrate for them what the vision of this looks like after the sale, that you're going to be there, that you're going to help them, you're going to support them, and that other people have enjoyed that service once the sale is done because they, they don't want to feel abandoned and, and left alone. So in the uh, in the serious world that I came from, and that's the S I R I U S world, um, you know, we called this the champion because um, yeah. they were, you know, I mean, they're they're the one. As I mean, you describe what the champion is. So I don't have to re-describe it. But to me, the most yeah. essential aspect of the, this persona is that they're the likely the first person you're going to engage with in an account, right? Because they're they're probably doing the early research. They're you mm. know they'll be the first ones to reach out to vendors to have discussions. And as you so correctly mentioned, you know, you want to be their partner through the whole process because otherwise yeah. they're going to feel like you dropped them and they're going to go yeah. with somebody else who's, you know, who's willing to support them through, you know, what sometimes yeah. can be a really complicated buying process. Absolutely. And to your question earlier, Jeff, I think these are the people we're actually needing to market to and sell to. I mean, we, we recognize that the reason why we lay out all of these personas is we need content and answers and we need to answer the needs of all of them. But this is probably the person you really need to get behind and give them all the material they need because they're going to drag you through this process. Right. So yep. um, I think this is the key person. 
So we have the executive decision maker. We have the most mm-hmm. senior person who cares, and that's yeah. senior in rank, not in age. <laughs> uh, and then we have number three. What is number three? Number three is a fairly obvious one is the user, right? Now, I know that last week we talked about how marketing personas and user personas are two very different things, right? Because we're marketing to the buyer and you're building your product for the user, right? So those are two very different things. But they are the people that will say must be easy to you will say must be easy to use in the RFP. And they'll want to feel the solution makes their life easier and all that kind of stuff. Now, What I've seen in B2B software is these are the folks that are likely to be the ones that are going to cause you churn and problems further down the line, right? So you need to be absolutely have these guys bought in and and, and really understand what what the solution looks like for them when they start using it, right? So that's, I think that's the the key thing with those guys. And they're going to have very tactical um, issues in terms of their needs is how will this change or impact them on a day-to-day basis? Do they like the current tool that they're using? How will it actually improve over the current tool they're using or the process they have? And I've even seen it where people feel threatened by a new solution coming in because they handcraft stuff and you're suggesting we automate it. So you need to be really aware of that impact that you can have on the user's needs and it's their needs are very tactical. And then so the examples that you can use to help is show them like in all of them, right? In all of our personas, we need to have case studies and other people that are like them so that you have a range of voices from your um, customer base talking to these people and it's exactly the same with these guys and often this is like community content case studies stories and open apis whatever it is that you tend you know whatever it is that's going to engage these people at that level um, that's what you need there and since this is <laughs> this user the user is usually low on the totem pole for decision making you're likely going to run into them i think as you implied late in the selling journey there's the yeah. buying journey, there's the selling journey. So from our perspective, we're going to probably yeah, run yeah. into them a little bit late. How do yeah. you make sure, I mean, you mentioned some of the things you can create for them, you know, community content, yeah. case studies, but how do you make sure you get them engaged in the process? Uh, certainly, if that's, if that's going to be a positive <laughs> impact, how do you make sure you get them engaged or and, uh, I think, and, and don't leave them to be a, you know, something that's going to throw a monkey wrench into it, a spanner yeah. in the works late in the process? No, you're right. Um, th- I think, well, I actually would say that sometimes you'll catch these people very early in the process as well. It might be that they took the idea to to the um, to the to the most senior person who cares. And they also might be the ones that have agitated for change. So the senior person who cares or the EDM feel they need to change. So actually, it might be you're engaging with them fairly early. You're the one who's going to sort of um, trigger the the uh, the event to happen because you know, there is a better way you know so i think there's that early stage selling at the user level as well as well as as you say at the late stage and I, the way that i've seen it, it 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 i mean it depends on the kind of solution you're selling but what what i've seen very successful is is you need to remember that you're se- that, that you're supporting your senior sponsoring your edm into the implementation and sort of post sales, it might be that there's that squidgy period between the the commitment to your solution and it actually being adopted. That's the point at which you run workshops, you run um, 
you know, webinars, open houses, whatever it is that works, that gets the users involved with how the solution is going to get implemented. And, and then they feel onboarded with that. That makes cool. sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Absolutely. I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say it at all. So we've got, you know, I was thinking we got the executive mm. decision maker, we've got the most senior person or champion, yeah. we've got the user, we've kind of got like a, a hierarchy of people who are driving yeah. for change, the authorizing change, but there's two more to go. So yes. who else is involved? And yeah. who's number four? And what do we do? The, the, the fourth one uh, in B2B technology anyway, is there's always an IT element to this. So I'm calling this person the IT architect. And they're going to be slightly impassioned about the solution. So they're not going to care as much as the most senior person who cares. Um, but they're going to care about different things. They're going to care about the t- technical implications of the implementation, maybe the skills their team are going to need, how it's going to integrate to what they already have, the data flows, the scalability, security, and all that boring stuff, right? The, um, the, the, These are the boring maybe, people. <laughs> no, but it may be. I mean, I've seen it where, you know, you've got somebody – um, a sponsor who's really, really keen to see this shiny solution be implemented. And you're sitting there going, you've got to think about these things. That's when I'm on client side rather than selling side, right? You've got to think about these things. So, and this person may not actually be in IT. Nowadays, you see a lot more, you know, people in marketing, um, marketing ops who have a much deeper technical knowledge than they probably used to have and a much t- deeper technical remit over IT. So I would so so yeah so that that's that's the that and they're they're going to be the the other thing about them is they probably don't care enough to have the bandwidth to dig for information. Whereas your your senior, the person who the most senior person who cares has got a, a motivation to spend time researching your solution. This person doesn't really maybe doesn't give a fuck right, and 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 they just want to make sure there's tech adherence to standards and trends and all that kind of stuff, and that's probably what they're going to be hearing and have strong views about so I noticed then, you use a word you used a word that was other than effing <laughs> maybe you'll have to bleep that out for, for spotify uh, oh um, yeah maybe yeah i'll just mark i'll just mark this episode as explicit apologies i know that's there was a listener that told me that they um they listen to the podcast while they're driving their their um, daughter to school so i should have i should have watched uh-huh. i got a bit carried away there thanks for the heads up there Jeff. no problem anyway no problem. i so, got to crack through this so the need the the needs there is you've got to get that you know the technical impact the skills they need to them easily to consume and be as open as you can like if you've got an api share it on your website right so they can noodle around with it and look at it so i think that's the sort of thing you can do and then examples of how you can help well, sometimes these guys are tied to a pause, right? So you'll hear things about Headless or the, the Mac Alliance or, um, and years ago we had it with JSR 160. You know, these are things that create a tribe around them. So be part of that tribe, support their cause. If they're really interested in interoperability, composability, speak their language and show them that you care about the same things they do. Mm-hmm. So, so I've often called this the, uh, the gatekeeper. Because mm-hmm. it's the uh, and and it and it, it to me it can be in I think your references I mean IT certainly for a lot of the stuff that that we've been involved in selling mm-hmm. but it could be in HR it could be in legal or just somebody who you know whose their primary role seems to be I got to make sure that stuff passes my test 
like yes, you said, you know, there might be standards tests, there might be, you know, IT, uh, you know, governance issues they put in place. And it's like, whoop, that doesn't work. That's true. So, um, yeah. so it's, it is some. Um, maybe I, I know, should rethink this one, actually. I think you might be right, actually, because um, that maybe it's not just an IT, but there's a broader gatekeeper type persona that we need to capture. But, and, and also, I wanted to caveat all of what I just said, because it may be that the IT person is the senior person who cares, the most senior person who it cares. Might it, it might be Absolutely. they're actually driving the deal and that the, um, the gatekeeper is somebody else. So, um, yeah, keep an open mind on that, I guess. So, <laughs> so we've got the executive decision maker, the yeah. senior most person who cares, the users, the IT architects or other types of gatekeepers. Yeah. Who is last, but certainly but, not least in, in our eyes? This one I see most overlooked, to be honest with you, is the influencer. So this is anybody who is going to be um, not triggering the buying process, but will be involved along the way as an advisor or whom somebody might listen to or read about or go to. Not just the obvious analysts like Gartner, Forrester, Serious Decisions, IDC, those kinds of folks. But it it be anybody that you think your EDM or sponsor might listen to and might be influenced by. It could be a prominent blog. It could be an author. It could be anything. Um, but you need to capture this influencer. And so in some industries, and particularly niche ones, there may only be two or three people or five people in the world that are the, that focus, and they may be really easy to find. And their needs are they need to look good in the industry. And if they recommend you, they need to not be embarrassed by that, right? And what you can offer them in return is access to your customers. So they want case studies. They want to be know about the trends that are happening. They don't always have that kind of access. So you, you can, re as a vendor, you can really help them, you know, with what are the latest trends, what's the latest research that's going on, as well as which the way that you can help them is obviously sponsor their research, I know yeah. that it doesn't. It, you don't buy your way onto the Gartner Magic Quadrant, but, but certainly, <laughs> certainly, certainly, it gets you. It gets you attention and awareness. It gets you FaceTime yeah. with them, and, and so therefore, you know, you you need to think about that investment that you put into your influencer community. We're doing a lot of winking and nudging on the <laughs> over the yeah. video. Here. So, yeah. as a former influencer yourself, you know how. How do you like to be marketed to, or how do you think other analysts like uh, to be marketed to? Because, yeah. I mean, is it important to make personal contact, just provide information? Yeah. You know, hey, we're out think, here. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, th I think the important thing here, and it has been a while since I was an analyst, um, but I think the important thing here is, is, what, is help them know what's different about you. Right. And it's the same with the buyer, but it's absolutely the same with the influencer. They're, 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 you know, you know how many freaking solutions there are in your marketplace and they're swimming in a sea of same quite often with that stuff. Everybody's talking about the same thing. Just assume that the basic market education has already been done with this analyst or influencer. So they already know about the, the table stakes. Don't waste time with that shit. What is it that is actually different about you? And what's the most exciting thing that's happened customer wise or whatever it is like that? And just really nail into that and um and also alert them to the trends and give them access that's uh, i think the, yeah. the thing yeah i mean as a as a former five years as an analyst myself I, mm. I just i got so much out of we'd have briefings you know yeah. so you know some you know it solution would yeah. have a briefing for a number of analysts and it's yeah. just like you're you're right you want to know what's different they want to know what they're seeing and to me and as actually somebody who was a customer of an customer a client of analysts and yeah. so you know, it's like 
what do you see? I don't know. What are you seeing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what are people asking for? I don't know. Oh, what are people abs- asking you for? No, absolutely. It's a great sharing experience. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, and, and I, I've worked with um, a particular analyst firm that, that don't feel the view of the, of the vendor is particularly valuable. Whereas I would argue that, um, you know, vendor, vendor thought leaders or vendor experience with their customers is, is a valuable data point for an, for an analyst or for an influencer, right? So, and I think it it's really important that you're, if you're, if you're on the spot of your briefing, the analyst, I think it's really important to be honest. I mean, you don't oh. have to tell them everything, but you know, if you're, if you're feeding them a line, Good. they're going to figure it out. I think sooner than the client's going to figure yeah, it out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying this because I'm looking at the time, Jeff, but I think we could almost do a whole 20 minutes on, on, um, uh, influence, influencer relations to be influencer relations yeah and analysts because yeah. there is so much in this and exactly what you're saying is there's that honesty and that's building of trust right and that vulnerability and don't be afraid to ask them for help right what do they think you know there's nothing and you know analysts and influencers love being asked what they think right that's their role right so and to feel important so i think that's important All right. so the five faces of personas are executive decision maker, uh, the senior most person who cares, the user, the IT architect, or mm. I was calling it the gatekeeper, yeah. and the influencer. So, uh, and I understand you're you're you've actually wrapped this up as a blog post as well. So yes. um, people it's can not published um, yet. It's not published yet, but it will be at some yeah. point. And what song are we going to go out with today? I'm letting you make the final choice. <laughs> I'm going with um, Do I Want to Know by the Arctic Monkeys from 2013, partly because uh, when we were first discussing this as a theme, they'd just done a big set of Glassbury, which I really liked. And, and, they, and for the lyric, you do the lyrics better than me, but for the lyric, Do I Want to Know, this is the feeling that this fleet, if this feeling flows both ways. Right. So it's about helping, helping them with their needs as well as help, you know, as well as influencing them with the deal. And I think the code of that is the answer. The question is, yes, <laughs> absolutely. OK. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Great, great overview. And uh, we'll be back again next week with another probably a non persona topic. But we'll uh, we'll be discussing that next. <laughs> I'll see you next week. Thanks, Jeff. Bye bye. Thank you, Jeff. And that was a little bit of Do I Want to Know by the Arctic Monkeys from 2013. I love that song. And I would love to know if this feeling goes both ways. Let me know what you think of the topics we discuss. You can find me and Jeff on LinkedIn. Links, of course, in the show notes. Right, on to this week's guest, as I welcome back Matthew Woodget, the business storytelling guy. He is a technologist, marketer and storyteller whose marketing pedigree spans over 20 years. And as you'll hear, he's an author and he heads up Go Narrative, where he helps marketers and entrepreneurs reduce frustration, increase reach and drive growth using story structures. I always have fun with Matthew. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome back, Matthew, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am very well. All the better to be chatting with you this morning. 
<laughs> splendid. I don't know where the time's gone. You were last on uh, on the show in episode 112, which is last year. I can't believe that. Um, but you've been doing a great deal since then. But for people that for some reason didn't listen to episode 112, and I will suggest that people do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. And you know what? It's funny you should you say that it feels like it was just a year ago. It feels like two years ago for me because so much <laughs> happened in that time period. And it's one of the reasons yeah. we're back here today. So mm-hmm. I am a corporate dropout. I realized <laughs> that uh, my um, particular blend of skills uh, mixed with the ADHD and the dyslexia uh, was better served outside of the corporate world. But yeah. uh, picked up a lot of fantastic experiences in the corporate world, including despite being a storyteller, having written a couple of science fiction novels, being a visual storyteller with filmmaking and photography, I had my first official get paid to be a storyteller gig at Microsoft (laughs) about 11 years ago. And when I sat down to try and figure out how to get storytelling working in the corporate environment, it started Mm -hmm. a journey which I'm still on today. And that is to basically help business people access, tap into, and benefit from the power of storytelling to remove communications roadblocks, to mm-hmm. streamline messaging, to rally the troops, you know, all of this fantastic stuff that it can help with, all these pain points that every single business person has, and to help them tap into that without having to learn how to become a storyteller or how to actually create stories. So that's that's what I'm all about. And that's what Go Narrative, my company, is all about. Yeah, that's what I was saying to get, get on to. And you, a, lot of, a lot of fans over here with this kind of approach. I mean, I'm a big fan of content marketing. And my regular guest, Robert Rose, is a big fan of, of content marketing. I think, you know, absolutely spot on with what you're talking about. So tell us a bit about your company then, Go Narrative. So, yeah, we've, we formed in 2017. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we're, we're actually a collection of corporate dropouts, folks who are... <laughs> Who are all got fantastic experiences? Uh, cut, cut them, and they bleed either strategy, storytelling, or both, and yeah. have realized that they're able to uh, help companies better from the outside. And what we do is we effectively help with harnessing that power of storytelling, and from the the boardroom with rallying yeah. the troops and strategy, because quite frankly, you can use storytelling for strategy all the way down into the content marketing and critically having that be a golden thread of consistency or pulling in the same direction. And, and that's, that's what we do. So we help with, uh, we help with corporations, uh, with departments and corporations at the highest level to help rally the tree, the, the, the troops and get them aligned in one direction. Uh, and we also help um, the mid, mid-sized businesses, uh, but also entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out how yeah, to yeah. package up their passion and, and land it. But um, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's roadblocks. People are running into roadblocks. Like I can't get mm. everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. Nobody's clicking on our, you know, our website. And um, we, I, I can't get the investors to to invest. Right, yes. all of these roadblocks. And of course, there's a whole toolkit with these things. But one vital tool is storytelling. It's kind of like not having a hammer in your toolkit. <laughs> Creek without a hammer, at least. <laughs> I love that. And so um, I was going to ask you there, just a supplementary question was, um, because I said content marketing, and you're saying storytelling. So it seems to me that from your perspective, storytelling is like the, 
is like a core function that you need to do. And then content marketing comes as part of that. So you need to understand your story first before you do anything, right? Absolutely. You, yeah. If you don't know what your story is, you're going to get trapped mm-hmm. in what I call the practitioner trap. And right. anybody who's listening today is probably going to sort of have a little bit of a, a guilt as I describe this. <laughs> but I'll, I'll also say, go and have a look at three company websites that you do business with today. Maybe they're a supplier, maybe they're a partner. Go have a look at their website and and ask yourself the question as you look at that website, Is the are the messages, is what I'm seeing on this website able to get somebody who's in a business decision-making capacity to say, oh, this is interesting, or is it really only targeted at the people who are already in that practitioner space who already know they need that solution, which mm. is obviously a part of your customer base. But if you want to go, and this is a big problem that a lot of our clients come to us with. They say, we are trying to get out of selling to the people that already know what we do. Mm. We want to get the, you know, the CMO. We want to get the board. We want to get a business decision maker, whatever their colors or their stripes are mm-hmm. to say, buy this product or go check out this service right and then the practitioners are a part of that conversation but challenge challenge everybody who's listening to this today go look at three websites and that is ultimately you know one of the big problems i agree into yeah yeah no i think that's great especially for me i'm in b2b tech and you're absolutely right it's um most beige content about features and functions on the assumption you understand the problem that you have and you understand that this is a company that is going to be able to solve it and and here is the differentiation. I'm going to hit you with the differentiation first, assuming you know those first two things, right? So that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Is that story? It's actually, yeah, it's actually even before differentiation. Differentiation yeah. is predicated on the assumption that you have two things that you're looking at to compare. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. if you have a story that is so compelling, you yeah. actually can leapfrog differentiation. Right. I mean, we see this in the B2B space all the time, B2C space all the time, but, you know, it it applies because guess what? We're all human beings. There was an ad campaign like 10 years ago. It was B2H, right? Business to human. It's true, right? And storytelling is a part of being human. So what can I say? Yeah, yeah. No, and we're going to get into your book in a minute because your book's got some great um, techniques and sort of it's it's a real playbook for how we go through some of these things. Um, But we've been talking about content here and it'd be remiss of me not to ask a question about generative AI right now because it is so hot. What's your view when you're building this stuff out? Where does where do where do these new technologies now sit within your practice and what you're looking at what you need to do? It's a fascinating topic, right? Mm-hmm. And the whether you're talking about generative AI and machine learning or you're talking about what ultimately we could go with AI, yeah. And that can be a little bit a little bit murky for for folks because yeah. we may think that we're a lot further along towards the true AI space than we we are. Mm. And I say that because what we have today is really, really useful, Mm. right? And it's why why we're seeing and hearing so much about it right now. We have reached an inflection point where the technology has become good enough and useful enough to be that practitioner tool. And we use it. We use it all the time. It, I, I actually, view, I view whether it's we, we're Jasper AI client. We are right. uh, we Chat GPT Plus as well, mm-hmm. and um, Jasper is built on Chat GPT. 
You can do some yeah. kind of fun stuff between the two, getting them to work on each other's content. <laughs> we, we treat it kind of like a team member or an, an assistant. And yeah. there's a huge step, which is making sure you're putting the right guidance and instructions mm-hmm. into these things. But there's also a huge step on the back end that I think a lot of people are going to trip up on. And that is editing, right? This right. idea of an editor, right? The, whether it's a book that's edited or whether it's a movie, that the, the role of an editor in a movie, and as much as you'll hear, hear me slam Hollywood when it comes to business yeah. storytelling, I am a huge fan of Hollywood storytelling and the edit, what's in the edit mm. is vital. I'm a photographer. I take you know a thousand photos when yeah. we go on a vacation and then I share a hundred. It's about yeah. the edit. The magic is in the edit. And so yeah. if you're approaching generative AI as a assistant to help you speed you up along the way, then I think you have a huge opportunity to tap into that, but it's not mm. a human. It's not true AI. It's not something you can p- delegate to completely. We're seeing yeah. some fantastic outputs, but you need to be involved in the process. And if you approach it like that, you have a, a huge opportunity and, and I could dig into the details of, of, of how you use it as well. But yeah. Yeah, no, I love this. I love that. Um, I mean, so many great ideas coming out about how people are working with these tools, right? And luckily, I think we've now moved, we're moving on from the conversation. Oh, it's come to take all of our jobs and there's no, and copywriters won't exist anymore. That's bollocks, right? But and but I've not heard anybody talk about that edit. And I think that's a really good point is that that then injects the human back in as well, doesn't it? Because then it's like, right, is this really me speaking? Mm-hmm. Let's make sure that we get that back in there and, and cut this stuff. But and also um, you talk about the edit gives me a lovely segue to talk about your book. (laughs) So so which I know that you've just had to rework um, since we spoke last time. So when we spoke last time, it was all ready to launch. It was it was on the what's that thing a ship's normally on and just about to smash the champagne and off it goes. And um, uh, but you you pulled it back and you re-released it. Tell us about the story, um, the book, Storytelling for Action Playbook and um, why you wrote it and what's happened since we last spoke about it. Yes, I mean, the, the underlying beginning of the story, at least, is, very, is, is pretty much unchanged, and that is yeah. after I became that corporate dropout, I started <laughs> knuckling down to try and figure out how can I codify this stuff? How can I come up with a repeatable way? I, mm. Even though I talk about storytelling, I, I clearly am in the marketing space, I have a computer science degree. Right. I was a terrible engineer. However, <laughs> I, I do actually have a Microsoft patent, by the way, which I, I love cool. to. Uh, and they give you this thing called a patent cube when you uh, wow. get the patent. So I, I, I understand the importance of structure for uh-huh. repeatability, uh, whether it's a factory or I worked in ERP um, software, um, factories, repeatability, the whole Henry Ford story, right? Mm. And I knew that we needed something in business that was going to give us that repeatability of applying this power and doing it in a way that made sense for business. And so I I started building out these frameworks and Mm -hmm. the 3D story framework was actually the first one that I built. I wanted to come up with a super simple, easy to remember way to remember and see your story from all angles, right? 3D and it's three words, desire, difficulty, and then a fancy Mm -hmm. one. Denouement. I try to be simple. <laughs> I do. I swear. I promise. But the word is a metaphor in in English because in French the direct translation to English is untangling the knot, 
And so right. people want something, Perfect. something stands in the way. And how do you untangle that knot? And some of that's the, the product being offered by the company. Some of that's how you approach it. Some of that's the other yeah. products you use, the people, your team, all this kind of stuff. So I came up with this, this first framework. And then I developed another framework for strategic narratives called the TRIPS storytelling mm-hmm. framework. And then mm-hmm. during COVID, I came up with the uh, meet your customer story, morals, essential emotions, and truths. And that's used to to tailor and target your stories, no matter who the audience, but to be focused on your audience, which as we all know, as marketers is incredibly important. And after putting those together, I actually came up with another framework and I'll I'll get to that in a second, but those first three (laughs) frameworks found their way into that first book. And I, I thought I could kind of do it on the cheap. I kind of made the mistake (laughs) that we see a lot of business people make with storytelling and that is, Oh, I can do it. I know how to Mm. tell it. I'm a raconteur. I can I can stand up on stage yeah, yeah. and wax lyrical. And I made that mistake with the design of the book. And when the book was finished, I wasn't happy with it. I, I tested it out with a few folks who I trust uh, from a graphics perspective. And they asked me what the hell I was smoking. <laughs> and so I pulled it. I wasn't happy with it. And in right. fact, I'm glad I did because not only through the process did I um, meet up with Justin, who became our designer and illustrator, but mm. I was also able to include a new framework that we have called Putting Your Story to Work. And that takes mm-hmm. everything that comes out of the first three frameworks and it puts it into a very easy way of sequencing a story, whether you're coming up with a presentation, a piece mm-hmm. of content for content marketing, you name it. Uh, and then also to include uh, the big story approach, which is applying it to create your own strategic narrative. So in a nutshell, basically, <laughs> the Storytelling for Action Playbook is yeah. narratives IP, right? You can, yeah. and I kind of have a bit of a, a bit of a, a joke with some folks who are like, um, I, you know, love to hire you. Um, can we get, you know, can we get some kind of discount? I'm like, yes, you can. It's on Amazon for $26.99. You can, <laughs> right? Time and treasure. If you've got the time, the resources, and you want to apply it yourself. And, you know, for a lot of folks, small businesses um, or individuals Mm. who are working to try and solve storytelling within a company, this is going to be the tool to go to because it's practical. It's Mm. and it literally has it has worksheets in it. So each each one of these players goes through not just a beautifully illustrated. Thanks, Justin. Mm -hmm. Uh, step by step. And each one of these is unique. They're all hand drawn illustrations to bring the concepts to life. Then you have the, uh, the the what I call the moves within the plays. Mm-hmm. And those are the effectively the the tips or mm-hmm. the you could lift these or maybe they inspire you to, to do your own. And then you yeah. do your own. So then you turn the page and on, in the print version you actually work on it. Yeah, so nice. nice. These tones <laughs> of a thousand page, pages of my theory and all this stuff. No, there's a little bit of theory in it, but it's. yeah yeah i like it and unfortunately uh, matthew we're we're recording audio only and i've seen some things i need to share with the audience so i liked your cube that you just showed me the pattern cube but also um i i will if you can share with me some screenshots of of some of those pages because it is absolutely a workbook so it's got your the ideas in it and then it's got how to implement it in all those steps and if and that was the same style as the other one. I saw more of the first version than I have because the, the second, this version has only just come out, hasn't it? 
Literally, yes. We released yeah, it yeah. just over a week ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I need to grab a copy. But yeah, from what I've seen, it looks great and, and really practical. So should we dive into that first and looking at so should we dive into that? You've got so many of these great models, and I would encourage everybody to look at those and would be wonderful to have you back and maybe dig into some more of these. Although you really would be giving it away for a discount then, wouldn't you? But so that first one, that original that original 3D story thing. So what did you mean by that? So you said desire, difficulty, and denouement. <laughs> What what are those three steps? So desire, somebody wants something. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want something in your business, right? Maybe your customer or your potential customer wants something. Yeah. That's why we're in business in the first place, right? Is to solve that, to help with that. Because that desire is often blocked, right? There's a right. there's something standing in the way, and that's difficulty. And that could be any number of things. It could be internal challenges. It could be we don't have the right tools. We don't have the right information. Something is stopping the yeah. the want or the need being achieved. And then denouement is the untangling of that knot. So it is the, yes, it's the solution, but it's also right. the results that you can get. It's the big picture of that solution. Right. Something which, in fact, I can thank my time in ERP marketing, and that is we were selling software to manage everything from finances to factories. Mm-hmm. But guess what? The software is not the only thing that's going to make that stuff happen, right? right. You need right. a factory, and the factory <laughs> got conveyor belts and robots. And I, I had the yeah. pleasure of going to places like Aston Martin and Lotus F1 team and oh, getting yeah. to actually see these things in action. And then there's the fleet of trucks and all, and then the supplies, all this kind of stuff are huge not that has to be untangled for success. And so I encourage everybody when you're telling a story, don't just focus on yourself. It's very, very, right. To a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right. Uh, To that kind of that old adage. And I I have to be careful on the storytelling front that myself, but that's what it is. And those three things, right. If you kind of look Mm. over what the traditional attempts at decoding storytelling have been which has been in the entertainment industry because by the way storytelling serves two purposes and that's it two purposes number one help us understand the world and our place in it and number two communicate about that world and our place in it to other human beings to create some type of action to make something happen and that's the only that's what storytelling comes from and there's a whole bunch of science and i've I've gone so deep into this stuff and it it just so happens that those stories are fun to tell and we like hearing them. And then you have this whole Hollywood and novels yeah. and all this kind of stuff that comes out of it. Um, but ultimately the, if you take a look at the three D's and you look at a movie, Oh yeah, there's a hero and they want something and oh, yeah. there's these things that happen. But this is a way of you as a business person easily remembering that it's literally the easiest storytelling framework to remember on yeah. the planet. And if you want to play with it, by the way, our website right now, you can go up there and you can download the first play. And that is the 3D. Oh, nice. You can actually go, anybody yeah, can yeah. do that. Um, it's a lead magnet. You have to give us your email. <laughs> at Disney.com. But I promise you, you're going to get so much yeah. value out of it that um, it's worth trading your email. Because 
you will get additional help and over over you know nice. over email. i'll include a link to that in the show notes absolutely and as we predicted matthew we're running out of time <laughs> um but and i want to get to our last question because as you might recall we have a regular feature the rockstar cmo soon pull our portal to marketing hell where we throw all the bullshit snake hole and overhype trends that plague this marketing craft we love last time and you've already sort of touched on this you threw the hollywood sign and you and you shared your advice to stop looking at hollywood for your inspiration for st- storytelling um, because we need to keep it simple. Are you going to stick with that? Should we stick that, keep that in the pool, or have you got a new one for us? I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. There's value in simplicity in life. Mm. There's yeah. value in repetition. Things don't have to constantly be changing, and this is one of them. Don't yeah. go hunting for help from the entertainment frameworks, and Hollywood is the epitome of that. Don't try. If I'm going to throw anything else in there, it'll be <laughs> It'll be the hero's journey. And I yeah. can hear friends of mine like Park Howell, who's got a wonderful book, right? This is based mm-hmm. on, on, on the hero's journey, kind of mm-hmm. cringing when they hear that. But the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is, sorry, Park and everybody else in this space, it's, <laughs> it's trying to get people to think about a different area of specialization, remember that, and then kind of rationalize, translate that into your business and guess what there's no google translate for that well there wasn't until now and it's you know, simple <laughs> and uh, business business focus so uh, i would throw the hollywood sign in and i would throw the hero's journey and i would say be careful because if you go out there and you search for help with storytelling you are going to find people who can help you improve your presentation skills and they'll use hollywood techniques and you know what if you've got a presentation coming up that's Great. that's you know going to help a little bit, but it's not going to help you remove those messaging roadblocks, those communication challenges, rallying the troops, all of that stuff that you want to do repeatedly again and again and again and again in the business. In business, using that tool that you can always go back to, those do not have the secret to that, and um, and, and we do have the secret to that. I love so. it. I love it. So, um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? GoNarrative.com. That's the best place to go. And you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, not so much nowadays. It's a little bit of a dumpster fire. Not quite yeah. sure where that's going to go. But uh, but gonarrative.com, loads of resources, tons of stuff up on the blog there. You can get the first play from the playbook there as well. And uh, maybe next time we can talk about what's releasing this week as well. Yeah, so. yeah, I did want to include that. And that's your seven types of business stories assessment. I'll include a link to it in the show notes and maybe a little bit of blurb that you can share with me. And then if you'll come back on the show, we can dive straight into that. How do you feel about that? I would love to. Uh, anything I can do to help your listeners access this tool and learn how to use it and just do like what I was doing at the weekend, which is not throw those old exacto blades away or the, you know, the, the Stanley knives, get, but get the, the, the sharpener and figure out how to, how to get the most out of it so that you can keep doing that with storytelling and not have to kind of constantly search for something. And anything I can do to help with that, I'm here for you and your audience. I love it. Thank you very much, Matthew. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. And so, um, it, so and uh, well, then you're going to come back on the show. I love it. I'll speak to you then. <laughs> Cheers, Brilliant. buddy. You, Matthew, a topic close to my heart. Great to have him on the show. And of course, I'll include all his links in the show notes. Please take a look. Right, it's time to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief drummer maker of the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing tool. Good evening, Robert. 
What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Welcome to the bar. And well, it has been a holiday week for us. Um, you know, it is, it is, and I'm so glad. I mean, I'm, I have to be a little surprised to tell you <laughs> that I'm so glad that you've taken the 4th of July uh, celebration to new levels here and made me feel welcome uh, in the bar with fireworks and red, white, and blue and all sorts of band and, and, and marching band music and all kinds of things. Um, just, it's, it's, it's really lovely. Thank you for, thank you for this really 4th of July themed uh, bar that you've done. And it's all for you. And yeah. um, as you know, I spent some time living in America. So we put all of this stuff, including the marching band and everything, in a big chest. And we just, we just get it out every year. Just That's right. <laughs> people don't, you know what pe- and, and you know what people don't recognize is yes. that, um, that how much of the music uh, that is classically American, yes. and that we think of as American anthems, uh, not necessarily our national anthem, but 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 certainly uh, some of our other American an- anthems are stolen directly from British songs. Um, yes. So yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the, back then we were we were pretty much one people, weren't we? With a, that's with, right. With a minor that's tiff, right. and, and a territorial know, tiff. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think it's. I, I, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure we were correct. <laughs> As things stand now, uh, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that we shouldn't have just been part of the British Empire going forward. I, I, I've spent. I've spent. <clears throat> God knows how long it is that I've worked with Americans. Twenty five years having this conversation. It's like it. It really varies from year to year, and some years I'm like. Yeah, we let you have it. <laughs> yeah. And other years, it's like, That's right. oh, please take us back. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe what a problem child we would be today? I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> the queen, were she alive, would be, would, be ro- would, be, would be rolling her eyes. Yes. Oh, well, there we go. Anyway, so um, anyway, I'm going to... Yes, we have a lovely drink to celebrate yes, um, this past week, which was yes. mostly a, a an off week for mm. uh, for us here in the U.S. Um, and we call it the Firecracker. Nice. Uh, and it is a spicy cocktail. It's a little fancier than our average when we figured, you know, you're in an off week. You don't have anything but time. So... <laughs> We're basically going to make something a little fancier this week, and we call it a firecracker. And so it starts uh, with the most Fourth of July and American thing, which is watermelon. <laughs> is it? Um, okay. So we start with uh, some, you know, uh, two or three uh, big cubes of watermelon, seedless, of course, if you want right. to, you know, not have seeds in your drink. So crush those. Um, and then we have rum. We add basically right. one and a half parts of rum. So one and a half ounces for a, for a drink size. Then a half ounce or a half part of triple sec. Again, if you're into the sugar, I don't think you need the sugar in here, but yeah. this is this is sort of completely up to you. Then, of course, lime juice, freshly mm-hmm. squeezed, of course. Um, and then uh, a little bit of cayenne pepper. And I know that oh. sounds weird, but trust me, like just a just a hint of a teaspoon just a hint of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper wow and then of course garnish that with a lime wedge shake it up shake mm-hmm. it up in a ice uh, um, you know in a, into a mixer yeah um, and then shake it shake it shake it uh, and then basically stir that or strain that into a cocktail glass so it ends up looking like a very red um, uh, martini 
Good. Because the watermelon will, of course, uh, mm. color that, and, and right. as will a cayenne pepper to a small degree. Mm. Um, and then garnish with a lime wedge, and you are good to go. And it is, wow. it's a very spicy, sweet, interesting, fun Red drink. drink. Nice. Yes. Now, you need, now all we need is a white drink and a blue drink, and uh, our evening is complete. <laughs> yes, that is true. That is true. That I should sounds- have probably countered this with a blue drink, given our <laughs> politics here in the U.S., but yes. <laughs> Yes, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even think about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't thinking politics either. I was just looking at your flag. But anyway, so I'll attempt to make that very drink using only the ingredients on my desktop bar. I'm going to start with some ice because I don't have any watermelon. Um, and then I'm going to serve the most um, English of uh, rums. <laughs> some Hendrix gin. Oh, good Lord. This one's giving up a fight. Hang on a sec. Uh, and then... Uh, some of your most... I do like a bit of rum. What, what sort of rum do you like? Is there a dark rum that you've put in there? Uh, you know, no. I put a, I, I put a, a, a light rum in there. I oh, put okay. a... Um, uh, you know, aged is great here because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it'll, it'll take some of that fruit forwardness away mm-hmm. um, and allow for the watermelon to, and the cayenne to come through more okay. pronounced way. But yeah, any, any rum will do, but I like a white rum here. Okay, well, I've put my gin in, and then I'm just... <laughs> well, that's as close <laughs> as you're going to get, yeah. And obviously, sure. half part triple sec, lime juice, cane pepper, and watermelon are all going to be provided by the lovely people at Fever Tree, because they've given me a great alternative. Well, they didn't give it to me. I paid for it myself, because I'm not sponsored by them. It's some cucumber tonic water, which I'm going to put in there, which you might have heard fizzing away as I sprayed it over my desk. <laughs> so, there it is. There yeah, we go. Nice. Let me give that a try. Mm. I've got the white drink to go with your red drink. That's very nice. Delightful. I could drink one of these every week, Robert, by the way. Very nice. So ah. we are drinking these drinks. We're celebrating uh, your independence, <clears throat> whether you want it or not. And where are we going to be drinking these? Well, I thought we'd, you know, it, it, there probably isn't a better spot for us to be celebrating uh, the 4th of July than mm. the Boston Harbor. Yes. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, it was a, it was a source of contention for oh. us, you know, a little bit, you know, just a little bit of tension. Um, <laughs> however, it's a wonderful spot to be. I love Boston. It's one of my favorite towns and on the Boston Harbor, there are some amazing restaurants now oh, yeah. where we could sit, we could watch some fireworks, we could watch the ships go by, we could sit there and, and, and have these cocktails and get some good, uh, Get a couple of good lobster rolls or something like that, oh. and just uh, and just and just settle it. I'm in. I mean, definitely. Well, I mean, regardless of the fact those people threw all that tea in the water, luckily they didn't touch the gin, so that's good. But anyway, it's true. I'm assuming. Um, but yes, that sounds fantastic. And then after we've marvelled at the songs and we've discussed the history of of, of how we came to be like this, um, and and the topic turns to marketing. What are we going to be talking about this week? Well, I want to talk a little bit about something we've been working a lot with clients with over the last few months, Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been calling it a point of view architecture, and I'll explain what I mean by that, which is, so right now, I think we'll all agree that the the news of the day is how much misinformation there is out there on the internet, Mm -hmm. right? So there's social media uh, and fact-checking. Where, you know, even Mark Zuckerberg has said about this, that they don't think Facebook or other internet platforms should be an arbiter of the truth. And so 
which is sad. And we can yes. talk about that as a cultural thing. But what it means is, is that there's more in- misinformation than ever before. And we're the ones creating it. But now we even have generative AI engines like OpenAI's ChatGPT or Google Bard or others. Then certainly there will be many others <laughs> who basically either hallucinate and just make stuff up, mm. um, you know, because they're trying to comply with a particular prompt or because they're using facts that the learning model has learned from the general internet that themselves are wrong. Mm. You know, great example of this is the, uh, you know, the fact that you can see the, uh, the, the great wall of China from space which of course has never been a fact, but was only debunked (laughs) in early 2000s when a Chinese astronaut basically came back from space and went, yeah, you can't see it. Um, (laughs) And so you wouldn't think that it would take literally 40 years for that to happen, but it did. It was in textbooks for for a long, long time. (laughs) There are other facts like that that are just out there that humans have, you know, uh, created. And Mm -hmm. this is the difference uh, between truths, mm-hmm. which uh, are what we believe to be true, yes. versus facts, which are the things that actually happen. And this is the conundrum that we have today. And it's interesting because we are absolutely encouraged to transform facts into truth. Mm-hmm. And there was a great study that was done literally just two years ago by the University of Pennsylvania that, that found that when somebody is relaying the information, this is perfect for social media, right? What they found that when someone is relaying information and they believe that they're more knowledgeable than the recipient of the information that they're, that they're relaying, they are more compelled to guide the information in some sort of persuasive manner. In other words, whenever we share stuff on social media, we instantly become armchair experts about the thing that we're sharing, right? Uh And you can think about this, right? How many people became overnight experts in uh, epidemiology, right, during COVID? How many people are now experts in legal thing now that Trump is in trouble? And all of these things lead to facts that get shaped into truths that may not be fact. And this is a real conundrum for AI development and for content development and for uh, other kinds of, of, of marketing and sales because the third you know, leg of this stool, however, is as sales and marketing starts to bleed more into things like content marketing, brand mm-hmm. journalism, opinion, yeah. fact-based research, as we start to operate more like media companies that are sharing a point of view around the world, it becomes more incumbent upon us to, guess what, shape the truth. Mm-hmm. Because you can't avoid that. That is unavoidable as humans these days. We are going to shape facts into truth. Mm-hmm. And we have to shape facts into truth as well because, and hopefully we're going to be wonderfully earnest and you know, trustworthy and, and, <laughs> and all of those things, but that's our job now. Yeah. Because if our, and this is what has come to us via clients is as we start exploring the approaches of how brands can a become trusted as a thought leader in their space or get their point of view about the world to quote unquote, become part of the answers that both traditional and AI engines use yeah, to yeah. actually display as the shaped truth. Yeah. Well, we have to do it. And the way to do that, the only way, I mean, we can't really know about AI right now because it's way too early, but the only way to do that from our perspective 
is one consistency and two scale, right? You have to, you have to shape the truth at scale and you have to create consistent truth. Mm. And this is the problem with many large organizations. When we start thinking about, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a thought leader in cloud computing, or I want to be a thought leader in legal, or I want to be a thought leader in manufacturing or something, you know, the future of this or, you know, whatever it is that the business wants to be a thought leader about. Most of the ways that that is handled these days is by individual subject matter experts, basically purporting, you know, their views through the channels of the business. And that doesn't scale and it's often not consistent. Um, and because the subject matter experts, and I see this all the time, especially in things like professional services organizations, right? Where I see big consulting firms talking about topics like cloud computing or legal or the future of manufacturing. And the subject matter experts within the business don't agree yes. on what those things are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that consistency and that scale has led us to start working with clients to develop what we call point of view message architectures, which are very similar to brand and messaging architectures, but rather begin to document and formulate the institution or our business's point of view around a particular topic. And I won't belabor the whole thing now. We can point to a, a resource mm -hmm. for to put people to, but it's yes. really about how do we break down our shaped truth, because that's where we have to start, is what do we believe about the facts? What do we believe about the future? What do we believe about the world is true? And scale that and keep it consistency so that we actually become known for that thing. And breaking it down very much like a brand message, a product message is, yeah. is a constructive process that we're seeing really help businesses figure out how to work in a, in, in, in a, in a landscape that is increasingly hard to get your truth across. Yeah, yeah. No, this is great. And I've seen some of your point of view messaging uh, uh, models and work um, just in our interactions off of the podcast and um, I think it's, you're totally right and I also like the way that you mentioned there about influencing um, the artificial intelligence and chat GPT I was asked about it actually on a podcast the other day myself is what what do I think about marketing and um, and chat GPT and the thing is it's, it's going to be super important for brands to get their point of view across that gets picked up by these engines as we start to use them instead of Google because right now you know um, you you um, you put a search search into Google and you get a, a whole load of different answers from a whole load of different people um, whereas chat GPT is going to have the definitive one answer so if you need to create a thought leadership within your industry or category, mm -hmm. you're going yeah, you're going to need to be pretty strong in that for these engines to pick that up, right? Absolutely, yeah. it's something that you can even see it. I wrote about this a few weeks ago. You can start to even see the early signs of this in something as simple as what Google Bard did in their original demo, right? Yes. And I think we may have even talked about this on the show where they had. Yeah the you know the comparison of state parks mm. and were they friendly to dogs or not yeah and because there was no clarity and no consistent point of view about why pets are welcome at yeah. the state parks and neither state park that they were comparing had content on this well the the ai engine did the best it could right it did the best mm. it could by looking at the negative yeah. points of view that were created like your dog can't do this you can't do this with yeah, pets you yeah. can't do that which is what both of them said and they basically 
the AI engine took that and said, yeah, they're, they're both, you know, they're both fine for pets. And then let me list all the negative reasons, right? So yeah. you got a bad answer and in a relatively inaccurate answer. Yeah. And you got something that's not going to be differentiating for you or your product. And so that's going to be the new, Absolutely. the new challenge for brands, which will be to make sure that they have scalable and consistent answers and points of view, not just an FAQ, not just a fact, but they have to have that shaped truth, right? They have to have everything about that in a story so that AI can contextualize that mm. and present it as the, as the right answer. Yeah, and context absolutely, and and exactly. um, and that's what's missing, isn't it? It's it's you know, if we were to look at a website uh, for a state park and we had a dog, there'd be seventy five percent of our knowledge would almost come from context because it'd be like we assume we can bring our dog and it will tell us the twenty five percent that we can't do. Whereas if that's the only information on the website that ChatGPT can read. It's going to go, well, that's the sum total of all the knowledge I have on dogs in parks. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting how to integrate that into learning models that take yeah. time to learn, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because... <laughs> You know, you've got, you know, you've got, you've got engines, search engines like BARD, which are yeah. leveraging both, you know, there's, there's some new architectures coming out, certainly that, that look at, okay, you know, timely indexed content, yeah. but then also the learning model, which has been trained, right, on which yeah. the AI has been trained and including both of those things as part of the processing. Yeah. Um, and that's where a lot of the customized learning models are happening with some of the proprietary solutions, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see how real time you can make this, but it's going to take planning. It's you know, regardless, well, you're going to have to have the content out there for a while before you become the standard or consistent answer. Yeah, but oh my God. this is such a great topic. I could crack open another couple of cocktails on this one because I'm now thinking, and I'm sure many people have already thought this thought and, it, and it's coming to my head is, is sort of like AI, um, optimi optimized websites, right? <laughs> now, now you need to write your website as if you're teaching a two-year-old who knows nothing about state parks. <laughs> and it's like, how fucking horrible are those websites going to be? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, and, and the interesting thing is not AI optimized sites, but just AI optimized content, right? Yeah. Exactly. Because think about a future where yeah. the website doesn't matter, right? Because mm. what it's doing is, is that it's rewriting that in its own interface. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I say, I want the answer to this question, how much mm -hmm. of your corpus of content, exactly. regardless of what it looks like or how it's structured on your website, is coming back in that interface. Yeah. And, you know, with either sourced links as sources of information or yeah. however it sort of uh, pulls back and or credits your, mm -hmm. you know, your you as the source of information, mm -hmm. um, it'll, be, it'll be very interesting to see how we... Mm -hmm how we start writing for AI engines that are devoid or an unknown context of how it will be consumed. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And also what will be interesting is how these, these engines start to monetize the fact it's our, uh, our link, the way that Google does so brutally right now, right? Is that if you want to be the single source, source of truth on top tips at email marketing, you're going to need to be SEO to the hilt and probably pay Indeed. you some money, right? So, well, that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going to have to be both it. for a while, right? I You're love it. To, I love yeah. it.
And then、yeah. your, your comments at the beginning about, I mean, if you've ever written anything, and I know you write a lot, right? Is if you try and find the source of, of data in this, in, this, in this world and you're diving through link after link after link in order to get to where's the source of this thing that everybody quotes? And sometimes it's impossible. It's, it, it becomes circular. I mean, it was like that with the goldfish thing, right? Is, that's the thing I was thinking about. That, well, that yeah. Was, I, mean, it, I mean, and there's a great a example、truth. of this in the, in, the, in the post that I wrote about、yeah. this very topic. Yeah. The, the example that I use is so I asked, I asked ChatGPT、yeah. who, who invented the jobs to be done framework. Yeah. And it came back and said that, well, and very confidently, by the way, answered, well, Clayton <laughs> Christensen did, basically outlining it in his book,、yeah. The Innovator Solution, which came out in 2003, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's highly inaccurate. It's not correct.、Mm. Now, it's not that it doesn't have any veracity, but because it does, he did do that. <laughs> he yeah, did yeah. popularize the term. In a, uh, you know,、uh, jobs to be done framework in that book is where he introduced and popularized the term, but he certainly didn't invent the framework or the concept.、Yeah. Go ask Google Bard that same question and it gets it right. Wow. And it gets it right with Tony Ulwick and basically、mm. that the theory was built out of the outcome driven、uh, innovation、um, process that he had invented and then basically taught to Christensen and then became a popular part of the thing. So, Who do you believe, right? Yeah, who yeah. becomes the arbiter? And this is where we get to really the, the, the crux of it all is, you know, how do you create things where you become the, the source of interesting、mm-hmm. and the truth? Yep. Because those shaped truths, that's inevitable. That's going to happen. The difference between Google and ChatGPT probably will always exist. So, for various quote unquote truths. Yeah. But which one are you, which one are consumers going to trust is the real key. And that not only goes for them, but it goes for us as well. Yeah. I love this topic. And、um, I'm really pleased you didn't have a hard stop today because we've gone over time. But,、um, and, and the other thing is, it's like people might be listening thinking, well, why is this important? The, the importance of this is if you're a lead vendor in a category, you want to define that category. So, if somebody says, What is the definition of this and what do I need to do? and they're going to chat GPT for it, it could be the difference between choosing your solution and your point of view and somebody else's solution and their point of view. And you want to define the category. And that's what's the important bit here from a commercial perspective, right? Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. absolutely. All right. So, when people want to get the facts that have not only turned into truths, they've become facts again, where are they going to find those? <laughs> They'll find me on our very much under construction website at contentadvisory.net. We're working diligently behind the scenes、uh-huh. uh, to re update, to take into account some of these things that we're talking about here.、Um, and because I, and mostly because I just hate the look of it. It looks like <laughs> from 1990 called and wants its website back.、Um, Basically, I mean, we should add a five minutes at the end of every show for you to just bag on your own website. Just, just bag on my just, own website. Yeah. Yeah. Just to make it cathartic probably, for you. Yeah. That's like, probably accurate.、Um, yeah. There you go. But, we, the, but the content is good, is, I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not as bad as you say. So that's contentadvisory.net. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, my friend? 
Oh, they'll find me on LinkedIn mostly. So mm-hmm. please search me out. I would love to connect with all of the audience here on, on LinkedIn and have a chat. It's where I find my most useful social media interactions. And then, of course, if you feel like subscribing to our little Substack, we have a wonderful Substack called Experience Advisors, where we talk about all these kinds of things on a weekly basis. Okay, excellent. I'll include all those links in the show notes. And the most important thing for me, are you going to be in the bar next week? Oh, indeed, I will. <laughs> I look forward to it, mate. I'll see you there. Thank you, Robert. I've seen that point of view architecture, and I'll include all of Robert's links in the show. So that's a wrap on episode 174 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Matthew, and Robert for sharing their experience. You can find all their links in the show notes along with our blog, newsletter, and all the previous episodes on rockstarcmo.com. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasty jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think via the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your podcasting app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the studio. We have another returning guest, Todd Irwin, Chief Strategy Officer at Brand Strategy and Creative Agency Phaser. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.